Chapter 31 of The Side of the Angels by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 31 He slipped away into the darkness, but only to do what he had done on the previous evening after making arrangements with old Mags. He climbed the hill north of the pond, not so much in the hope of seeing Rosie or anyone else, as to haunt the scenes so closely associated with his spiritual downfall. It was a languorous, luscious night, with the scent of new-mown hay mingling with that of gardens. If there was any breeze, it was lightly from the east, bringing that mitigation of the heat traditional to the week following Independence Day. As there was no moon, the stars had their full midsummer intensity, the scorpion trailing hotly on the southern horizon, with Antares throwing out a fire like the red rays in a diamond. Beneath it, the city flung up a yellow glow that might have been the smoke of a distant conflagration, while from the hilltop the suburbs were a sparkle. As, standing in the road, Claude looked through the open gateway down over the slope of land, the hothouse roofs and the distant levels of the pond gleamed with a faint, ghostly radiance, like the sheen of ancient, tarnished crystal. The house was dark. It was dark and dead. It was dark and dead and haunted. Everything was haunted. Everything was dark. Even the furnace chimney looming straight and black against the stars was plumeless. But in the silence and stillness there was something that drew him on. He crossed the road and went a few paces within the gate. He had not ventured so far on the previous evening, and during the day he had dared no more than to look upward from the boulevard below, after that pilgrimage to the Duck Rock on which William Sweetapple had surprised him. Now, in the darkness and quietness, he stood, not searching so much as dreaming. He was dreaming of Rosie, dreaming of her with a kind of cheer. After all, he would be bringing joy to her, as well as getting peace of spirit for himself. It wouldn't be so hard. She would meet him as she used to meet him here, as she used to let him come and visit her. And then the atonement would be made. The process would be simple, and he should become a man again. The conviction was so sweet that he lingered to enjoy it, penetrating a few steps farther into the spacious dimness of the yard. It was the first minute of inward ease he had known since he had turned his back on it. Now that he was once more on the spot, the Claude, who was a devil of a fellow, something of a sport, but a decent chap all the same, began again to run with red blood where there had been nothing but a whining, shrivelling apostate. It was like rejuvenescence, like a recreation. Suddenly something moved. It moved at first in the shadow of the house, and then out in the starlit spaces. It moved stealthily and creepily, and with a grotesque swiftness. Its action seemed irregular and uncertain, like that of some night-marauding animal, till Claude perceived that it was stalking him. He waited long enough to get a view that was almost clear of a crouching attitude, crouching attitude of a beast when it means to spring, whereupon he turned and fled. That is, he turned and walked away swiftly. He would have run had it not been for his renascent self-respect. He couldn't bring himself to run from poor old Fay, even though his nerves were tingling. He tried to reassure himself by saying that it was no more than a repetition of that dogging to which he had been subjected before, and that it would discontinue once he was off the premises. But when he turned to glance over his shoulder, it seemed to him that the sinister footsteps glided after him. That, he reasoned, might have been no more than fancy. Dark lights were rare on this rather lonely road, 
and the enormous shadows they flung lent themselves to the startling of sick imaginations. Nevertheless, as he walked, Claude continued to look back over his shoulder, always with renewed impressions of a creepy thing trying to track him down. Having entered the obscurity of their own driveway, he broke at last into a light, soundless trot, which was not slackened till he reached the relative protection of the door. But by morning he had regained a measure of tranquillity. Knowing what he had to do, he was resolved to do it promptly. With sunlight and summer, and the sense of being home again to brace him up, the Claude, who was a devil of a fellow, seemed in a fair way to be reborn. Waiting after breakfast only long enough to be discreet, he took his way up the hill again. He was confident by this time, and the more so because of his being beyond the need of concealments. There would be no more shrinking into the odorous depths of the hothouse, or hesitancies or equivocations. He would walk up and avow himself, to father and mother, as well as to Rosie. The hero in him was coming to his own at last. The gash in the hothouse roof which he could see from a distance was what he noticed first. In his two nocturnal visits this had not been apparent. Now that he saw it, he stood stock still. It was something like a gash within himself, a gash in his courage, perhaps, or a gash in the dream of a reconstituted self. He knew vaguely that his father had refused the renewal of the lease, and that at some time in the near future Fay would have to go, but he had not expected the immediate signs of a complete demoralisation. Now that they were there, they disconcerted him. He went on till he was in view of the house. It gave him the blind stare with which empty houses respond to interrogation. He continued his way to the gate and into the yard. All was neglected and fantastically overgrown. Fetch, burdock and yarrow were in luxuriant riot with the planting and seeding of the spring. No living creature was in sight but a dappled mare, whose round body and heavy fetlocks spoke of a canoe strain, hitched in the shade of the magnolia tree. The mare wore a straw hat, to which was attached a bunch of artificial roses, and switched her tail to drive away the flies. Harnessed to a light form of dray, the animal suggested business, so that Claude put on a business air, going forward with the assurance of one who has a right to be on the spot. He had not advanced twenty paces before the hothouse door opened to allow the passage of a fern-tree in a giant wooden pot, behind which came the pleasant countenance of Jim Breen, red and perspiring from so much exertion under a July sun. Claude paused till the fern-tree was deposited in the dray, when the two men stared at each other across the intervening space. For the first time, Lois's mention of the young Irishman's name returned to Claude as significant. What the young Irishman thought of him he had no means of knowing, for a sudden eclipse across the cheery face was followed by an equally sudden clearing. "'Hello, Claude!' Jim threw off the greeting guardedly, and yet with a certain challenge. His very use of the Christian name was meant to be a token of man-to-man equality. Having attended the public school with Claude, and taken part with him in ball-games at an age too early for class distinctions, he was plainly disposed to use that fact as a basis of privilege. He attempted, however, no other advance, remaining sturdily at the tail of his dray, hatless and in his shirt-sleeves, but with head erect and grey eyes set fixedly. The only conciliating feature was his smile, which had come back, not with its native spontaneity, but daringly and aggressively, 
as a brave man smiles at a foe. Claude resented the attitude. He resented the smile. He resented the use of his Christian name. But he was resolved to be diplomatic. He went forward a few steps farther still, but in spite of himself his voice trembled when he spoke. M Mr. Fay around? Jim answered nonchalantly. No, gone to town. Want a good fern tree, Claude? Two or three corkers here. Look at that one now. Get it cheap, too. Dandy in the corner of a big room. Sickeningly aware of his feebleness in contrast with this easy, honest figure, Claude made an effort to be manly and matter-of-fact. Mr. Fay selling off? Oh, not exactly selling off. Fix things up with father. Father's taking the stock, and Mr. Fay's going in with him. Didn't want this old place any longer, Jim continued loftily. Kind of clung to it because he put money into it like money-eater, that's what it was. Make more in a year with father than he would in this old rockery in ten. Had to be Hobson's bought the place. Know that, don't you? Come to think it was your old man who owned it. Well, it's Hadley be Hobson's now, or will be the day after tomorrow. Have a swell residence here. Good enough for that. Too small for a plant like Mr. Fay's. Claude did his best to digest such details in this information as were new to him, while he nerved himself to say, "'Is Miss Fay about?' Jim nodded towards the blank windows of the house. "'Moved. Better take a fern-tree, Claude. Won't get a bargain like this, not if every florist in the town goes bankrupt. This one's a peach, and yet you'll call it a scream compared to the one I've got inside. Bring it out so as you can get a squint at it. Can't wait, can you?' "'Well, so long. Got to finish my job.' "'Back, Maud, back. "'Any time you do want a fern-tree, Claude?' Claude was obliged to speak peremptorily in order to detain him. "'I want to know where the Fays have moved to.' "'To town,' was the ready answer. "'Well, so long. "'If I don't get on with me job.' "'What part of town?' Jim turned at the hot-house door. "'Oh, a very nice part.' "'Well, that's not telling me.' "'No,' the young Irishman threw back with his peculiar smile. If you take my advice, you won't ask anybody else. If old man Fay was to see you within a mile of the place. Claude decided to be confidential. Old man Fay has no reason to be afraid any longer, Jim. Not as far as I'm concerned. Oh, it isn't as far as you're concerned. It's as far as he is. The boot's on that foot now. Claude loathed this discussion with a man so inferior to himself. But he was obliged to get his information somehow. If he thinks... "'It's not what he thinks, but what he knows. "'That's what's the matter with old man Fay. "'If I was you, I'd give him a darn wide berth from now on.' "'Yes, but, Jim, you don't understand. "'I understand what I'm telling you, Claude. "'If you don't clear out of this village for the next six months.' "'Claude was beside himself with exasperation. "'But, good God, man, I've come back to marry Rosie. "'Now, don't you see?' "'Jim stalked forward from the hothouse door.' standing over the smaller, slighter man with a tolerant kindliness which persisted in his sunny, steely smile. "'No, I don't see. You clear out. Take a friend's advice. Whether you come back to marry Rosie, or whether you haven't, won't make a sense worth a difference to old man Fay. Clear out, all the same.' In his excitement, Claude screamed shrilly, "'Like hell I will!' "'Like hell you have to. Mind you, Claude, I'm telling you as a friend. And as for marrying Rosie—' "'Well, you can't.' Claude became aggressive. "'If that's because you think you can—' "'Gee, me! What do you know about that? "'It's all I can do to get her to look at the same side of the road I'm on—so far.' 
but if I can't, still less can you, and for a very good reason.' "'What reason?' Claude demanded with his best attempt to be stern. The other became solemn and dramatic. "'The reason that—that she's dead.' Claude jumped. "'Dead?' "'What in thunder are you talking about? She wasn't dead this afternoon.' "'Oh, yes, she was, Claude. That Rosie. She—she drowned herself. When I dived in after her, it was another Rosie altogether that I brought up. Do you get me?' Claude broke in with smothered objurgations, but Jim, feeling the value of the vein he had started, persisted in going on with it. He did so not bitterly or reproachfully, but with a playful Celtic sadness— in which a misty blinking of the eyes struggled with the smile that continued to hover on his lips. Rosie, you knew, Claude, was all limp and white as I held her in my arms, while Robbie Willett rowed us ashore. She was gone. The soul was out of her. She was as much in heaven as she'd been dead a week. Her eyes were shut and her eyelashes wet, just as you might see the fringe of a flower hung with dewdrops of a morning. And her mouth. You know the kind of mouth she's got, a little open when she looks at you, "'as if you'd taken her by surprise, like. "'Well, that's the way it was then, a, a wee little bit open, "'as if she was going to speak, but more as if she were going to cry. "'And her lips that white, and not a beat to her heart, "'no matter how tight you held her. "'When Dr. Hill brought the breath into her again, "'it was a different Rosie that came back entirely.' "'Claude wheeled away in order to hide the spasm that shot across his face. "'I'll shut up, damn you!' was all he had the strength to say. But the tone moved Jim to compunction. The Irishman in him came out as he tried to make things easier for Claude, without at the same time desisting from his object. "'Sure, you couldn't tell that was the way she'd take it. You couldn't tell that at all. If you'd known it beforehand, you'd have acted quite different. You'll know that. Anyone else might have done the same thing that was—that was—' that was he sought a consolatory phrase. That was like you. He plunged still further. I might have done it myself if I hadn't hadn't been built the other way round. Only that won't matter to old man Fay, nor to Matt, neither. Claude turned so suddenly pale at the mention of the brother that Jim followed up his advantage. The old fellow has to be out of this by tomorrow night, and Mac gets his walking ticket from Colcord the next morning. He laid his strong, earthy hand on the neat summer black-and-white check of Claude's shoulder, with the lightest hint of turning him in the direction of the gate. "'Now, if you make yourself scarce for a spell, I'll be able to manage them both and coax them back to their senses.' Though he felt himself irresistibly impelled toward the road, Claude made an effort to recover his dignity. "'If you think I'm going to run away—' Jim slipped his arm through his companions, helping him along. "'Sure you're not going to run away. Lay low for a spell, that's all you'll be doing. Old man Fay is crazy. Stark, staring, roaring crazy. It isn't you, and it isn't Rosie. It's having to get out of here. It was bluff what I said a minute ago about the place being too small for his plant. He's dotty on these three old hothouses. My lord, you think no one ever had hothouses before, and never would again. You think it was the end of the world to hear him talk. You die laughing.' The fellow he'd like to put it over on is your old man. Gives me a mouthful about him three or four times a day. And it'd be a barrel full of buckshot in the back if he could get at him. Lucky he's in Europe. But I'll calm him down, don't you fret, and I'll calm down Matt once I get at him. 
Let me have two months. Let me have a month, and I'll have them coming to you like a grey squirrel comes for nuts. Out in the roadway, Claude made a last effort to react against his humiliation, doing it almost tearfully. But look here, Jim, I've got to marry Rosie. I've got to. The Irishman and the young man were still in the ascendant as he wagged his head sympathetically. Sure, you've got to, if she wants it. Well, she does want it, doesn't she? She must have told you so, or you wouldn't know so much about it. She's told me all about it from seeding to sail, and it's God's truth I'm handing out to you. No bluff at all. This Rosie's another proposition. I'll marry her whatever she is, Claude declared bravely, and I've got to see her too. Jim looked thoughtful. It isn't so easy to see her because... Well, now, I'll tell you straight, Claude, because it makes her kind of sick to think of you. Oh, that's nothing, he hastened to add, on seeing a second convulsion pass across Claude's face. Sure, she'd feel the same about anyone she'd done the like of that to her. Now, wouldn't she? It isn't you at all, not any more than it'd be me or anybody else. If I could see her, Claude said weakly, I, I, I'd explain. Ah, but you couldn't explain quick enough. That's where the trouble about that'd be. She'd be down on the floor in a faint before you'd be able to say knife. You couldn't get near her at all, at all, not this, Rosie, not if it was to explain away the ground beneath her feet. She'd get over that, Claude began to plead. She'd get over if it didn't kill her first, but it's my belief it would. If you could have seen her the night she told me about you, it was like cutting out her own heart and picking it to pieces. She's never mentioned you before nor since, and I don't think ever will again. No, Claude continued in a reasoning tone. There's no two ways about it, but you've got to get out. For a spell, at any rate. If you don't, old man of Fay'll be after you with a gun. And what Matt Fay'll do may be worse. I can handle them if you'll keep from hanging yourself out like a red rag to a bull-like. But if you don't, then the Lord only knows what'll happen. What'll happen? Claude cried with a final upleaping of resistance. Is that you'll marry Rosie? I'll marry her if she'll have me. "'Don't you fret about that. "'But I won't try to marry her. "'Never do I see that she's got the least little bit of a wish to marry you, Claude. "'I'll play fair. "'If she changes her mind from the way she is now, "'and gets so as to be able to think of you again, "'and wants you, wants you of her own free will, "'then I'll put up the bands for you myself, "'and that's honest to God.' "'He offered his hand on the compact. "'But Claude didn't take it. "'He didn't take it because he didn't see it and he didn't see it, because he looked over it and beyond it, as over and beyond the young Irishman himself. It was not that he had any doubt as to Jim's word being honest to God, or that he questioned Rosie's state of mind as Jim had sketched it. It was rather that he was seeing the Claude, who was a gentleman and a hero and a devil of a fellow, recede into the ether, while he was left eternally with the Claude who remained behind. Jim felt no resentment for the neglect of his proffered hand, but the long stare of those sick, unseeing eyes made him uneasy. "'Well, I guess I must beat it back to my job,' he said, beginning to move away. "'So long, Claude, and good luck to you.' He added, in order to return to a colloquial tone, "'If you ever want a fern-tree, don't forget that we've got some daisies.' But Claude was still staring at the great blue blank which the fading of his ideal had left behind it. 
End of chapter 31.